interesting too. Yeah, thank you. I had heard enough tonight. <laughs> so I said, go on somewhere, guys. Now, typically, if you're a guest here, typically we do two songs, and then we dismiss kids. I said, yeah, it was fun with the kids, but they're done. So, Well, hey, welcome to Grace Meadows. Glad you're here this evening. Uh, we are in the last week of our Exodus series. And next week, we're going to have sort of a Good Friday type service on Wednesday night. My dad's going to be back. He's going to share a message, a Good Friday type message. And then on Wednesday night, we're going to start a new series uh, called Hard Questions, where we're just going to look at some of the most difficult questions of the faith. And things like, uh, can we really trust the Bible? Things like that, right, that people ask. Uh, so we're going to spend about six weeks doing that. But tonight we're going to finish up in Exodus. And it's been such a good series, such a good series that I couldn't wait to get up here and talk about it some more. Uh, it's been such a good series. We, we did the, the background of Genesis sort of leading up to Exodus. And we talked about um, the Israelites' time in captivity and how God parted the seas and how God was with them in the wilderness and um, how God has uh, presented the law to them, the Ten Commandments, and, uh, and how God has made a tabernacle even in the midst of a stiff-necked people. And here tonight, we're going to talk about the character of God. We're going to talk about the character of God and how um, God defines who He is. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus 34. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Exodus 34, starting in verse 6. Um, again, what we believe about God is extremely important because it forms everything else in our lives. A.W. A. Towser says it like this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And that is foundationally true, isn't it? And not just what we think about God, but in any situation, if we don't have the reality present, then we really have no basis to move forward, do we? And so it reminded me when I was 14, uh, I was playing football and I got a football injury. And I go to the doctor and the doctor says, all right, Dallas, here's what happened. You pulled your hamstring, so take a week, rest it, and then do lots of stretching when you come back. And so I take a week off, I do lots of stretching, I go back on the football field, and man, I am just in a ton of pain. And my coaches, based on what the doctors had said, said, hey man, just keep stretching. You got this. Keep going. All right, we need you. Keep stretching that out. Keep going, right? And I'm over there just in so much pain. And I start thinking, well, what's wrong with me? I mean... I must be some kind of a wuss or something because I can't seem to get it together here, right? My coaches are saying, just stretch, you're fine, right? Well, I come to find out after the season is over, I go and get a second opinion, and I had actually torn the growth plate from my pelvis loose. 
And the doctor said, this doctor, the second doctor, he said, all right, the last thing you want to do is stretch it out. He said, you have to rest it. You have to let it rest. And of course, once I did let it rest, then healing came thereafter. And so the, the right diagnosis or the right understanding, the right reality was extremely important so that that could be treated. I think knowing the truth is extremely important and it shapes everything else. Because in that moment, because I didn't understand the true reality, I started to doubt everything else. I started to say, well, who am I? I'm dealing with this insecurity because I didn't have the facts, the truth to build a foundation out of. And you might find that that's true as well here tonight. You might find that your view of God dictates everything else. So if you have a low view of God, that would show. If you have a high view of God, that would show. If you think that God is a distant God, then that will show in your character. If you think that God is overwhelmed or he doesn't want to hear from you or it's too much, your situation is too much, that will reflect in everything else that we do. What we believe about God is extremely important. And a correct understanding of the character of God will always be the foundation and the first step to being able to live a godly life. And so, again, Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7, this is the way that God uh, tells us about His character. And by the way, this passage right here is the most quoted passage in the Bible by the Bible. So you'll see it referenced, if not directly quoted, over 20 more times throughout the Scriptures. So this is Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. This is God talking. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, this passage almost seems like contradictory a little bit, doesn't it? Right? You see the, the character of God, you know, compassionate, grace, gracious, slow to anger, uh, unfailing love, abundant love, and then faithfulness, but then you see, but then punishes the guilty, and then even punishes the children of the guilty. So I want to kind of reconcile these things with us here tonight. I think um, it's important to note a couple things, the context here. One is that God gives the commandments, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, after he has freed the Israelites out of captivity. That's so important for us to recognize. He doesn't say, here are the commands, get things right, and then I'll free you. He rescues them from their enemies, and then he gives them the law. And then also in the book of Genesis... He makes a covenant with Abraham before there's a law. So his promises and his saving comes before there's ever a law. That's so very important for us to realize. So we are not saved by the law. We're saved by God. That's so important for us to realize, right? And so the law, Galatians 3, Romans 7, among other places, would tell us that the law reveals our unrighteousness. 
that we can't obtain righteousness through the law, that it reveals to us our unrighteousness. So God saves us by grace, and then he goes to work in our life. So important. Now, how do we then get to he does not leave the guilty unpunished? He does not leave the guilty unpunished and also the children. Now, the children part's easy. There was an um, idiom during that time when you said to the third and fourth generation that you were saying, essentially, that it would continue, that there would be a continuance of this punishment. And so that's still true here today, right? If I, if I murder somebody, there is going to be a, a direct victim, but there will also be, of that family, some indirect victims that will continue to have the fallout, the collateral damage of that pain. So also, if a, if a dad or a mom decides not to show up for their family, then there will be a ripple effect thereafter of continuing punishment. And so that's what God is saying here. And it doesn't mean that God can't work in it. It just means that there will be a continuance, a ripple effect that comes from that. Our decisions affect everybody else, not just ourselves. But to look at the other question, well, who are the guilty, right? Like, who is God punishing here? Well, in order for us to answer that, I think we've, we've got to go in order here. We've got to look at the characteristics of God that he lays out, and then we'll kind of be able to form that question. So let's go through one by one here. Compassion. God is a God of compassion, or rahum in Hebrew. This means that God, it's referring to like the protection of a mother, how they just nurture and they have even like this mama bear instinct, right, that, that they just got to protect their kid. This is what this is talking about. There's a story in verse, uh, 1 Kings where Solomon is approached by two women and there's one baby who's alive and there's one baby who's dead and the ladies are, are sort of fighting over the one who's alive and so Solomon has the idea. He says, all right, here's what we'll do. We'll We'll cut the baby in half, and each of you will get a half of the baby. And one of the ladies says, sure, why not? It sounds great, essentially, right? But then the other one says, no, please, don't do that. In fact, just go ahead and give the baby to this other lady, but please don't lay a finger on that kid. And so then Solomon quickly finds out that this is the real mother, because she had Rahum. She had Rahum. She had compassion over this kid. So obviously she was the mother of the baby. God is a God of compassion. God is a God of compassion. And if we're not careful, we can be so entrenched into the law sometimes that we neglect compassion. And we know that because John chapter 8 tells us that, right? That the, the Pharisees had so little compassion for this woman caught in adultery that they drag her out, likely half or more naked, not caring anything about the shame that she's enduring, just because they feel like, well, she needs to pay because she's messed up. So there's no compassion here. But that's not how God operates. That God is a God of compassion. And we know that because if he were only going to reserve compassion for those who deserve it, he would only have compassion on himself. Right? But he doesn't withhold compassion. He is a God of compassion. He is also a God of grace. He is a gracious God. The Hebrew word here is, uh, I, can't, I can't say it the right way, but ken, 
Ken, or Ken. I went for it, but I didn't get it. So, uh, Ken, it means full of flavor, uh, not flavor, favor. Man, we just need to wrap this thing up, guys. It's a gift given with delight or favor. So think about Queen Esther when she approaches the king, and it's punishable by death, potentially, to approach the king, but yet she decides to approach him and he responds with what? With favor towards her. This is sort of a, a preview or a foreshadowing of the love of Jesus here to come, the favor that he shows on people. This is a glimpse of the character of God being the one who has immense favor over his people. How often do we see grace already just in this book of Exodus? Right? I mean, you know, God frees them from captivity and they praise him for about one second. And then they're like, look at that cow. That's awesome. Let's praise that. Yeah, right? I mean, and, and then over and over, they say, they grumble. They say, man, we're hungry and God, you're not providing. We should have just died in Egypt. Right? And yet God continues to provide. He continues to show them favor. Our God is a God of grace. And now he is also slow to anger. The original meaning here is long-nosed. So when someone is angry, their nose burns hot, is the saying here. And so the idea being that God has a long nose, which means it takes a while for him to burn hot with anger. So you think about uh, Genesis 39, when um, Potiphar gets so angry at Joseph because he thinks he's made a pass at his wife. So his nose is burning. That's the Hebrew. The nose is burning. Well, God has a long nose, so it takes a while for him to burn with anger. It was funny last night. Morgan's going to kill me for telling, telling this, but it's always a good idea to run it past your, your wife before you share these things, but, but here we go. Um, so last night we are at the dinner table, and um, I'm just kind of staring off, and Morgan says, uh, Dallas, what are you thinking about? And I said, oh, I was just thinking about how God is long-nosed. And, and she said, she said, wait, what? I said, oh, no, no, it's just an idiom. It's just an idiom. And she says, so are you saying that God has a long nose? And I said, no, it's just an idiom like that. And she looked at me and she goes, well, you're an idiom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I laughed so hard at that. Oh, uh, so funny. But, but no, I'm not saying he literally has a long nose. It's an idiom from that time. But, um, but yeah, I mean, how many chances was Pharaoh given before God finally um, allows his heart to just, just go, right? Just go. God is long-nosed, but that doesn't mean that it is never-ending. There is a time where God is angry, especially when it comes to things like oppression or people being harmed. God will be angry in those moments. And I think God continues to pursue us and he continues to be patient over and over, but there does come a time where he'll turn us over. Romans 1 talks about that, right? That he turned them over to their fleshly desires, their lusts and desires. So God is slow to anger, the next one is he is abounding in love. This is the Hebrew word, uh, kesed is the word here. God's kesed is enduring. God's kesed is forever. Psalm 136 says, give thanks to the Lord 
for he is good. His love endures forever. Do you ever think of God that way? That he has an overflowing love for us. In fact, the whole New Testament starts with this lineage of Jesus where God has this plan and then he reveals it in John 3.16 that for God, God loved the world so much that he emptied the cupboard. He put all his chips in the middle. He gave everything. He gave his son, Jesus, for us. His love is overflowing for us. He loves us so much that he gave his own son. Do you ever think that God has just an overflowing love for you? That's his identity. And then God is a God of faithfulness or emet or amen or steady or trustworthy is another way to say it. God is faithful and trustworthy. He demonstrates his loyal love through faith. Uh, In Galatians 5, I love how Paul just kind of sums it up. He's like, let me make this easy for you. He says, all that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And his faithfulness and love was demonstrated when he made a way for us to be with him forever. Isaiah uh, 25, 1 says, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness you have done wonderful things, things planned long ago. His perfect faithfulness. And 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. I love that. Faithful is just who he is. It's not contingent on what we do or don't do. Faithful is just his character. It's who he is. So, these five characteristics are, are what God tells about himself. Now, when Jesus came to the earth, God's characteristics... Uh, came in bodily form. That compassion came in bodily form. Grace came. Being slow to anger, being faithful, being overflowing with love came in bodily form. And this is one of the things I just love about Christianity. I think it's one of the the best proofs of Christianity being true. Because um, think about a good leader. A good leader doesn't just stay from their position of authority and look down on you and say, do these things. Just get it done, right? Or here's a little bit about me, and now go get it done. No, a good leader leads the way, leads by example. And so Jesus steps out of heaven, comes to the earth, and shows these attributes. It's one thing to tell about these attributes, but now to show and demonstrate these attributes. That's what Jesus does. And he allows us to share in that authority, too. He gives us the Holy Spirit in us that transforms us over time. So we'll see that Jesus is compassion. You look at places like Matthew 15, Matthew 20, Matthew 9, Mark 6, Mark 8, uh, Luke 19, John 3, John 11, among many other places, he shows us the embodiment of compassion on full display. Jesus is grace. John 1, Matthew 6, John 3, Matthew 18, Mark 10, among many other places, he shows us the embodiment of grace. Jesus is slow to anger. Jesus gets angry four times in 89 chapters in the uh, Gospels. And one of the times is because the disciples won't let the kids come to him. Another time is because 
he's angry at the effects of sickness on people. Another time is because he's angry with the Pharisees because they're um, not happy about him healing on the Sabbath. And then there's one story that's in all the Gospels where um, Jesus is angry because God's house is supposed to be a house of prayer and people are using it to make money. And so he gets angry. Again, it's slow to anger. It's not never being angry. There's a good reason to be angry. But again, four instances in 89 chapters, Jesus shows us what it is to be slow to anger. Jesus is overflowing with love. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says this. It says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Jesus is the embodiment of overflowing love. Jesus is faithful. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold unswervingly, I just love that word, unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Now, faithful to fulfill what kind of promises? Well, um, that his grace is sufficient, that death won't overcome us, that things ultimately will work out for good. But I think his promises could be summed up in this one statement, that through Jesus, there will be no more lack. Think about that. Think about that statement. Through Jesus, there will be no more lack. Now, we're not talking about prosperity. We're not talking about any of that kind of stuff. We're talking about that if life is found in his name, then we can't possibly lack anything anymore. That he's defeated death itself. We lack nothing. He has fulfilled all of his promises through Jesus Christ. It is Christ who showed these wonderful attributes of God in Exodus 34. Now, what does this have to do with God will not leave the guilty unpunished? John 3, 36 says this, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So when God has done all of this, when he has told us his attributes, and when he has come and shown us his attributes, when he has shared himself with us, when he has made a way to atone for our sins when we don't hold our end of the covenant, then of course he will give us over to our desires to say no to him. God is a God of love. And with that, that means that he gives us a choice. I mean, think about it. If God didn't give us a choice, that would be slavery. If God said, you will spend eternity with me, Is that loving? No, he gives us a choice at the end of the day to choose him or to not choose him. And so when he has left no stone unturned, when he has pursued our hearts day and night, he'll say, the choice is yours. The choice is yours. Laid it all out there for you. And the choice is yours. Just like if you you loved somebody in a dating relationship and you said, you will marry me. I mean, that's... I'm glad I didn't try that with Morgan. She slapped me, right? That's just not how it works. That's not love. But God says, yes, the guilty, those who remain in their guilt, will be punished. 
So at the end of the day, slow to anger as he may be, he will eventually give us over to what it is that we desire. Y'all, even in the book of Exodus, he's made a way for atonement. He's made a way for us to be with him. And so we've got to acknowledge the great chasm between us and him, that he is a perfect God, that we've got to uh, humbly come to him in repentance. Or the other choice is to say, you know what, I'm not so bad. I, I think I'm doing okay and I don't need that, right? And I think that's where our culture is headed, that just accept me where I am and, you know, everything will be okay. It's no, we've got to give those things to God. And it's God's power in our life. It's not our own strength. And for us, man, I hope we will be, continue to be a people of repentance, of humbly coming before him and saying, God, we've wrecked it. We, we've done it one time and yet we're in your kingdom now. But yeah, we, we need to continue to just come to you and say, I'm missing it and I need your strength. I mean, we talked in the first week uh, a lot about how God's got this and we don't. And what does it look like for us to just be a people of that statement? Man, God's got this. I don't have this. I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability. It's God. Everything in my life is just me getting out of the way and letting God work in my life. And look, I, I don't know where you are in your faith here tonight, but I do know the human tendency, which is to say, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Or to go to the other end and give in to insecurities, which isn't good either, right? And so as we wrap up this series of Exodus, we've seen God have this over and over again, hasn't he? It was God who brought them out of slavery. It was God who made a way and met their needs when they called on him. It was God who made the tabernacle a way to encounter them when they didn't deserve it. And it was God who made a way to atone for their sins so that they could enter into the presence of God. It was God who brought Jesus to the earth so that we could have relationship with him forever. And so it's for us to just open-handedly say, God, you got this. Whatever you want to do in my life here tonight, God, I give it to you because you got this and we don't. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, this series. We thank you for what you've been doing um, in our church, in our community, and and, and in our hearts. And so, Father, I pray here tonight that you'll continue to work in our hearts. Um, Father, if there are things in us that we need to give over to you, maybe there are things that we're relying on our own strength, I pray that you will just um, help us to identify those things. And um, I pray that you'll help us to uh, give those things to you. Father, I pray that you'll make us a church that just really realizes that everything that we have is such a blessing from you. I mean, that we didn't earn any of this, but you freely have given. And so we thank you. And and most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus, that you gave him. And so, Father, we pray during this time of worship that you will just encourage our hearts where we need it. Help us to see you. Help us to see your character, maybe even in a whole new way here tonight. Father, help us to see that you are compassionate, you are gracious, you are slow to anger, you are overflowing in love, and you're overflowing in faithfulness too, God, because it's just who you are. So here tonight, help us to see you in that way a little bit more clearly. We love you very much.
In Jesus' name, amen.